Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, this evening, as you know, is Good Friday, and so what we're going to do tonight is talk about Good Friday. I want to begin in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. And this is a reference to when the people of Israel were complaining about the things that God had done for them, and they got to a place where they complained about his cooking, his food. They said they loathed the light manna that they were eating. As a result, serpents began to attack them and they began to die. Many of them began to die. They cried out to God, first of all to Moses, and then Moses cried out to God. And this is what God told Moses to do. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So if he didn't behold the serpent of brass, then of course he died. The Israelites were in a crisis situation, similar to what we're going through right now with COVID-19. Many people are being attacked or stung by it, just like the serpent's bite, and being challenged. To some, it's not an issue at all. It's nothing more than a cold. To others, it's life-threatening. For example, two pastors in New York just recently got out of the hospital, and they had full-blown COVID-ID. As a, res- as a result, uh, I'm 19. As a result, what happened was... They were near death and almost dying and now recovering. They called upon other ministers to speak from their pulpits and let people know with their influence that it may not be a big deal to some, but to others, it is a big deal. And for them, it was so life-threatening, they thought that they were definitely going to die. And so they want us to let everybody know, take it seriously. And you know what? Be a blessing to other people. Help other people that are most vulnerable and do your part. Amen. Now, these Israelites... They had a problem. It was a big problem. Anyone that got bit by a serpent, they died. But if they looked to the serpent on the pole, they lived. And the serpent on the pole is representative of Christ becoming the curse on Calvary's tree. Well, as a result, of course, they would look and behold and they would live. And so those that decided to made a choice to look, they live, but those that didn't, they died. See, the choice is up to the individual. It was up to them to do their part, to view what was a type of Christ on the cross so that they could live. In the book of John, we are told that Jesus himself said that if I be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, I'll draw all men unto me. And that's exactly what he meant. And so we see something here. How we view the cross is essential. And very important. And there are different views that people have of the cross today. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, I believe it is, Paul the Apostle writing talked about the Jews and how they viewed the cross of Christ. And he said that it was offensive. It was a stumbling block to them. It was like a rock of offense to them. And they stumble over it even today, tripping up over it, because they can't see their Messiah going to a cross and becoming a curse and dying. So they can't accept that. To the Gentile or Greek community, of course, to them it was foolishness. And the word foolishness there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's a word, a Greek word, and it's called uh, moronic. 
We get our word moronic for it, from it. So to them, to the Gentile people, it is moronic foolishness to believe that someone hanging on a tree could have any effect upon a human being. So to them, once again, it's nothing more than foolishness. But then to the called, Paul said, if you're called and you've made Christ your Savior and your Lord, it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God to destroy the works of darkness. It is the wisdom of God because he outsmarted the devil by what he did. We are told in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians that had the enemy known what he was doing, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And so you see how we view the cross will determine whether or not we receive from it. The word behold, when they were to be held, it says they were to behold. The word beheld in the Hebrew means to behold, to look at expectantly, attentively, with a steady absorbing gaze. They were to gaze at that solution to the problem until it began to be absorbed into their being and they received healing from it. The same thing is true here with us. We look at the cross of Jesus Christ, not as foolishness. We don't see it as a stumbling block. We see it as the power of God to affect change in the human life. That means to save their sin-sick soul. That means to heal their physical body that's been attacked. It means to set them free or deliver them from the powers of evil and darkness. You see, there are different views that people have. Now, remember this. To the devil himself, to view the cross, it's a place of defeat where he was overcome. To God himself, it's a place of substitution and solution where he made provision for all the problems that we can face in our human lives upon the earth. And then also to us as individuals, it's a place of redemption. It's a place of reconciliation. It's a place of justification. It's a place where we understand and see our value and our worth. Remember, he paid the price of his blood for every one of us. That means every single one of us has great value and worth in the sight of God. It cost him his son to redeem us back to himself. Also, it reveals the love of God. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. No sacrifice of love was ever greater than this one. And then also, it's a place of commitment. It's a place of surrender. We surrender our hearts to him. Some people even view the cross as nothing more than a piece of jewelry that they wear around their neck. Some see it as a, some kind of religious icon that they might even bow to. But then there are some that look at it and see an amulet. I've seen this happen in people's cars where they would take a magnetic cross and put it on the dashboard. Believing that it had some supernatural power to protect them from any evil. But you know those are different human views. Our view of the cross is a place where the first covenant ended and the new covenant began. Where God sacrificed himself in his own life to redeem us and reconcile us back to himself so that we can commit our lives to him and walk with him and serve him all the days of our lives. Now, it just so happens that what we call this week is the Holy Week in our Christian belief system. It's the Holy Week because it starts when Jesus entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and as he rode in on a donkey, all the fanfare took place. People exalted him as their king and messiah. But it wasn't very long throughout the week that they shifted over from hallelujah, hosanna, save us, to crucify him, crucify him, and take his life. Well, during this particular week, Jesus fulfilled three of the four spring feasts that the Israelites were to celebrate throughout the year. 
And of course, these seven feasts altogether combined reveal to us God's redemptive plan for man. During this particular Holy Week, on Friday, which we believe it could be Thursday, could be Wednesday, it doesn't really matter when it happened. The fact is, it did happen. So just for right reasons, let's put it this way. He died on Friday. Just give me that. If he died on Friday and rose on Sunday, that's fine. It's fine with me. If he died on Thursday and rose on Sunday, that's okay with me as well. We know he died. We know he rose again. So let's just settle that right there. But on that day, on that Friday, he fulfilled the Passover. The Passover was the first of the feasts that they were to celebrate. It was a celebration of their deliverance uh, from slavery in Egypt. The next day would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where he would deal with the sin problem. The next day would be the first fruits, which was the resurrection from the dead. And I believe he fulfilled also a fourth feast as well. But that is a fall feast that took place and he fulfilled in spring called the atonement. And why? Because I believe the Orthodox Jew today has still not received or accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as the atonement for their sin. And as a result, of course... That's not fulfilled in their lives. But for we who are believing and also Messianic Jews, it has been fulfilled by Jesus when he took his blood to the high court of heaven and obtained eternal redemption for us. Why is it in the fall then? Because after the Feast of Trumpets, when Jesus comes in a rapture, it's going to be the Feast of Atonement. The atonement is when they will see him coming again in the clouds of glory and recognize him as their Messiah and accept his blood as the sacrifice for their sin. Amen. And then finally, after that's going to be the Feast of Tabernacles when he tabernacles on earth among men. But the point is, Jesus on that cross was becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as it was revealed to us in type in the Passover. And if you recall the Passover, what they had to do was kill a lamb, roast it, eat it, and then catch the blood in a basin. And here's the catch. That blood in the basin did them no good if it just stood there in the basin. It could be in their house, in the basin, but it did them no good. They had to take it, apply it to the doorpost and lintel of the house. And when the death angel then passed over, if he saw the blood, they would be spared. They would be set free. Jesus was the Lamb of God during that particular Holy Week. Jesus went to the cross as the Lamb slain who shed his blood. On that Passover day. Now the priests were preparing all the other lambs. Making sure they were without spot. They were without blemish. So that they could be sacrificed to appease God. But the Lamb of God they didn't even recognize. Was right there among them. And all that was typified is going to be fulfilled in him. On Calvary's cross. Thank God for the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Now here's the journey. Luke's Gospel chapter 9 verse 51. It starts with preparation. That is the preparation of our Lord. It says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face, notice this, to go to Jerusalem. Set his face means he prepared himself to face whatever it was that he had to face when he went into Jerusalem. He prepared himself to endure what would lie ahead of him. What would lie ahead of him? He was going to have to become sin for us. The curse for us. Mental anguish for us. Stripes would be placed upon him as he becomes sickness for us. And of course, he would have to suffer the wrath of God for us. All this was about to happen to a person. Not an animal sacrifice, but the person. Our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would have to become all these things for us 
in order for us to be delivered and set free from the power of sin. Well, in the book of Isaiah, I want you to notice chapter 52, verses 13 and 14. Powerful verses of scripture here. See, my servant, this is from the New Living Translation. My servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed. Now notice when they saw him, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Albert Barnes' commentary on that verse says this, and I quote, So as to seem not to belong to people or to be one of the human family, he would be so disfigured he would not even appear to be human-like. Something took place on that cross that we probably will never know until we get on the other side in glory. When Jesus became sin for us, that is the sin of the world. Now imagine this. Any sin ever committed before, during, or after, he became sin for each and every one. Anyone who ever lived, is living, and will ever live, he became sin for each and every one. The Father heaped on him the sin of the world into his being as he became sin for all of us. It's hard for us to imagine what that meant. But we can see as we look at these scriptures coming up, what it meant to people here on this earth, especially the Roman soldiers. He became sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Look in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 as Isaiah goes on to talk about what he would have to do. Who hath believed our report? What a good question. Who really believes this report today? Many do. Many don't. Some are indecisive. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is talking about our Savior, His saving strength, His right hand. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form to come in us, and we shall see Him. There is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs or sickness and carried our sorrows or pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He goes on to say, we all have gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus on that cross cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Because he endured becoming sin for every single one of us. Taking sin sickness, disease, mental anguish, and the curse of the law upon himself. And it's hard to imagine what that really meant. One day we're going to know it all. Well, in the book of Matthew chapter 8, just to show you that healing is also in the atonement, verses 16 and 17, we read these scriptures. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You see, whether we're facing COVID-19 or whether we're facing cancer or any other sickness or disease, it's good to know that we can attack it naturally. We can attack it medically, but also we can attack it spiritually, knowing that God laid on him our sickness and our disease. We can be protected from it as well. By his mighty power and glory. In First Peter, who also agreed with the same truth, we find in chapter 2 and verse 24, 
who his own self, that is Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed or we were healed. And so we see that the cross provides a solution to the human problem. Whether it's a snake bite, we could look to the cross and be healed. Or whatever the bite might be. The option or the choice is ours. We can look at the symptoms, look at the situation, or we can look to the remedy and the solution. Jesus is the solution. Of course, it takes faith to appropriate what he has done for us. But you know what? If we hear the word enough, we'll be able to do it. We proceed then from his preparation time because he's going to go to the garden. And look in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 39, as he then transitions into the garden. In verse 39, he came out and went as it was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Here we see Jesus struggling in prayer. He knows what's about to befall him. He knows he's going to become sin. He knows his father's going to forsake him. Something he has never experienced throughout all eternity. As a result, he's at the rock in the garden where the real battle really took place. He's looking to his disciples to help him through prayer. But they fall asleep. Finally, an angel comes to him. He reveals his human side by saying, Father, if you will, let this cup pass from me. But I know it's not my will to be done. He reveals to us the need for us to submit our will to his will, to God's will, no matter what it means to us. And that's what he did. But thank God angels came. An angel came and helped him and strengthened him to get through the ordeal. And I believe that's genuinely where Jesus won the battle of the cross. Right there in the garden. He prayed through. Uh, next we see in John chapter 18 the betrayal of Judas. I brought the scripture out for a reason. And let's read it first. Judas then having received a band of men and officers, as he goes to Gethsemane, from the chief priests and, and Pharisees, comes thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him and as soon then as he had said unto them, I am, and really the he is italicized, even in the King James, you can see that. He said, I am. And when he said, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Can you imagine that? He says, I am, which is the name for God. I am that I am, the great I am. And when he spoke those words, they all fell over. Can you imagine being one of those soldiers experiencing a power like that that brought them down to the ground and yet they got back up and still thought they had power over him well they didn't you know the word betray means to be disloyal to an obligation and what Judas did was he used a kiss a kiss is a sign of affection and friendship 
But he used the kiss to commit treason against his Lord, the Messiah, the hope of Israel, the one he thought was going to be the one to lead them into victory. Well, Jesus rebuked him and reproved him. And with that rebuke, it so penetrated the very heart of Jesus, Judas that he left and went and committed suicide because he realized the gravity of what he had done. Next, in Luke 22, verse 50, Jesus shows compassion upon someone. Even though he's in a situation where he's about to die, he shows his concern and his compassion for others that are hurting. And while he had spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Judas to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of God with a kiss? A Son of Man with a kiss? And afterward, a look at verses 50 and 51. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Now imagine this. He's betrayed with a kiss from Judas. Peter, of course, we believe it was Peter, was identified as Peter. The guy's name is Malchus. Pulls out his sword, probably going to after Jesus. And so what he does, cuts off his right ear. I'm sure the right ear fell to the ground. We don't know if Jesus just touched the ear and he got a new one or picked it up off the ground and put it back on and healed it like that. But here's Jesus about to be arrested falsely and falsely accused. And what does he do? He still helps someone. Someone who was against him. Someone who came to arrest him. Because he was concerned about him. You know, if you really do a study in your Bible, and you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at the different people that he healed throughout the course of his ministry here upon the earth, and remember we've been told in John's Gospel that if everything Jesus did was ever written about him, the world could not contain the books. The universe could not contain the books. But the things that were written were written specifically for our understanding. So that we would know he is indeed the Son of God, but also that we would know the heart of God and God's compassion for humanity. In Matthew 14, 14, we are told that Jesus saw the people that were sick and he healed them all because of his compassion. He was moved with compassion. He didn't just heal them so he would prove that he's the son of God. His compassion moved him to heal the people. He healed more people in one week of ministry than 4,000 years of human history. That's how compassionate God is toward hurting mankind. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're out there and you're fighting COVID-19, or whatever it is that you're fighting right now, look to the cross, look to the solution, keep your eyes on Him, and with an absorbing gaze, expectantly, attentively, receive His healing power, even now. There's no distance in the Spirit. I sense an anointing upon me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, whoever's hurting, I release that anointing. And believe that power to flow in their bodies right now to deliver and set them free and make them whole. Thank you, Father, for the performance of it in the wonderful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Next, we see Jesus being presented before the religious authorities. Look at Luke's Gospel 22, verse 54, and then 63 through 65. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And then verse 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Imagine this. These religious leaders were not concerned about the truth. They didn't want to know the truth. 
They wanted Jesus dead. They wanted rid of him. They were enraged by him because of the claims that he made to be the Messiah, the son of the living God. They were also jealous of his popularity. Remember they said, look, everybody's going after him. Everybody's uh, drawn to him. All the things that he has done and the things that he is doing. They were jealous over that. And they couldn't stand it. And also, they were fearful of his power. Some of them said, he's done great and mighty things that we cannot deny. Yes, he really did. He brought, or they brought many up on a mountaintop that were sick, that were blind, deaf, dumb, and maimed. Meaning their body parts were cut off. And he healed them all and made them whole. Finally, one day before Lazarus, who was dead for four days, his body beginning to decay. He stood there before them all and brought him forth from the grave alive, from the dead. You know what? Many believed on him because of that miracle. But yet many walked away from it and said, I refuse to believe no matter what. Isn't that a sad scenario? But you know what? Jesus made himself known to the people and they should have understood. But they were jealous of him. They were enraged by him. And they were fearful of his power. They wanted rid of him. They wanted him to die. So they take him next to Pilate. So before Pilate in Luke 23, look at what it says. First of all, verses 1 and 2 and then 12 through 14. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, Caesar, which is a lie, saying that himself is Christ a king. And then go on down to verse 12. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate... When he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him or judged him before you and found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. Now remember this sacrificial lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. And here we see Pilate himself, even Herod himself, we find no fault in him. In other words, he's without fault. He's without spot. He's without blemish. I find him innocent completely. Let me ask you something. Can you imagine what it would be like if Pilate would have known who he was judging at that time? Imagine him realizing he's judging the creator. He's the created sitting in judgment of the creator. He's infinite judging him He's finite, rather, judging him that is infinite. Imagine that. He is someone who is impotent, judging someone who is omnipotent. He's judging the creator of heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. And right before his eyes, he is standing there probably with a smug look on his face, thinking that he's the one that holds his fate in his hands, which he actually told him, don't you know I can put you to death? And Jesus said, look, if I didn't let you do it, you can have no power over me whatsoever. He could have called a legion of angels to come to his aid to help him, to deliver him, to set him free. But he said, no, this is the hour of the kingdom of darkness. I submit myself willfully to die the death to redeem mankind. So imagine if Pilate would have known. He would have trembled in fear even to realize what he was doing. In Matthew chapter 27, look at verses 24 and 25. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but that rather a tumult, was made he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying i am innocent of the blood of this just person see ye to it so what did the people go on and say 
They said, you know what? Let his blood be upon our hands. Imagine that. That exactly is what happened. The blood of the Lord was upon all those accusers and all those that wanted him to be put to death. And in the Jewish community as well has suffered as a result of that saying right there. Let his blood be upon us. They took responsibility for his blood. Next, we find him on the, what is called the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow, as he goes to Calvary. In chapter 27 of Matthew, look at verse 26 through 31. They called for Barabbas to be released, who was a criminal, a murderer. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, mocking him. And they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Notice this. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head to drive the crown of thorns deeper into his head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own garment on him and led him away to crucify him. So here he is on this Via Dolorosa. Of course, he's turned over to the Roman lictor. Catanine tells they used to shred his back, his shoulders, the back of his legs, to rip his flesh apart. Basically bringing him to the brink of death itself. They make him carry his cross. Then they have Simon to come and help him to get the rest of the way uh, to, to Calvary. But these Roman soldiers are mocking him, scoffing him. Imagine how they must have felt when they realized or found out that he indeed was the son of the living God. As we move on, we see Jesus on the cross. In Matthew 27, beginning at verse 32... Look at these verses. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, or Golgotha, as many say, the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them. And upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, here we see Jesus dying the death that many others died on the cross. He's not the first person ever to be crucified. Many others were crucified on the cross. There was a man on one side. A man on the other side. We see three crosses there on Calvary. The one, they're both criminals. But the one cried out for mercy to Jesus and saying, When you enter the kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. The other one kind of mocked him as well and just said, If you are who you say you are, then get down from the cross and save us all. People have different attitudes even today about Jesus and about the cross. There are those that trust in it and believe in it. And there are those that just mock it and don't believe in it at all. doesn't matter what a person believes. What was done was done. 
On that cross, Jesus took our place. He died the death we should have died. But you know what? On that cross, something happened to him that never will ever happen to anyone, never happened to anyone. He became sin. And when he became sin on that cross, it's beyond our comprehension. His visage being so marred more than any man, he did not appear human-like. We can't even begin to think about what took place in the spiritual realm, in the emotional realm, in the physical realm, when he became that sin on the cross. Now, as we continue on, look at verses 50 through 54, and what powerful text. This took place in Jerusalem, right outside of the city of Jerusalem, where he was crucified on that cross. This took place. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Remember, the veil of the temple separated the holiest place of all from the holy place. And no one could cross over from the holy place to the most holy place because of that curtain that was there. Only the high priest once a year on the day of atonement could go in there and make atonement for the sin of the people for a year. Behind that curtain was, that veil was the glory of God, the Shekinah glory that was of God manifesting on earth among men in the tabernacle back then. On that day, that temple veil was ripped from top to bottom, possibly by an angelic being, exposing the Shekinah glory, releasing it to go back up to the heavenly holy of holies where it came from. And no longer could man go in there and offer a sacrifice because God wasn't there. It goes on to say the earth also quaked and the rocks rent and the graves were open. Sometimes this is neglected. There were graves there around the city. Graves of people that possibly recently died or graves of, let's say, prophets of old that were buried there. But there were graves around the city. They were open. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came up out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus be so disfigured, watching Jesus become sin for us. And remember, these men, these individuals, they saw many die by crucifixion. Never had they seen anything like what took place in the life of our Lord. So disfigured, he did not appear to be a human being or to be a part of the human family. When they saw Jesus and they saw the earthquake and those things that were done, the temple veil being ripped in twain, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. That's Friday. Good Friday. That's what took place or led up to Good Friday. And on that cross, when he became sin for us, you and I will never ever understand the depths of what took place in all three realms when that happened. I'm looking forward to the day when we get in glory and I believe that God will give us a play-by-play -play action of what took place. He defeated the enemy for us. He threw death Defeated him that had the power of death, that is the devil. We believe he took him captive, took the keys of the kingdom and so on. Took back what Adam lost. But however you want to slice it and dice it, on that cross, Jesus did 
what only one individual could possibly do to redeem man from his fallen state. We know that because in the book of Revelation chapter 5, where we read there was a book written within a backside sealed with seven seals, and a strong angel proclaimed with a loud voice, who's worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof? There was not one man in heaven on earth or beneath the earth that was found worthy enough to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And so it says, John wept much. And when he did, one of the elders said to him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And he beheld and he saw in the midst of the throne a lamb as he had been slain. And the elders and the beast, a lamb as he had been slain, having seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits God sent forth unto all the earth. And they came. He came and took the book out of the right hand that, hit, that sat upon the throne. And when he did, they fell down before the Lamb. And they began to cry out and sing out, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. There was no other. No other person was there. No religious leader was there. Only Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, who bore the penalty for our sin. And they crowded and said, You redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, you made us kings and priests before our God. And we shall reign with you in all of the earth. That's a scene that you and I are going to be a part of one day. But suffice it to say, for now, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. And Jesus said, I am that way, the truth and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. Why? Because nobody died the death that he died. No one became the sin that he became. Nobody bore what he bore for us. He's called the sin bearer for each and every one of us. And thank God for what he did. Well, you know what? That was Friday. It all took place on that Friday. If you want to say Thursday, that's fine. You want to say Wednesday, that's fine. It doesn't matter what day. That's what happened. He became sin for us. And what do we see? Friday people, I have written down for you. Friday people say Jesus is dead. He's nailed to a cross. He's placed in a tomb. But that was Friday. Mary is crying her eyes out because that's her son. The disciples have lost all hope. They're running scared. Why? They're fearful for their lives. Their leader is gone. The Roman soldiers are strutting around with their swords and their spears, thinking that just another one in the books, another death. But that was Friday. Religious leaders, they felt they destroyed him. The one that exposed their hypocrisy is finally silenced and put to death. But that was Friday. Satan is celebrating somewhere in Hawaii. Having a wonderful time with his emissaries, his forces of darkness. And they're rejoicing because why? He that wreaked havoc with their kingdom is now dead and gone. See, Friday people say, if you're really the son of God, come on down. Save yourself and save others if you really are the Messiah. That's Friday people. Everything's in despair. So many think. But you know what? There's a Saturday people too. Saturday people... They saw the events that took place on Friday. They go on back home and they, they're puzzled about it. They don't know what to think about it. They have their own opinions. They go back to their old lifestyle. doesn't really matter. People today are the same way. They don't know what to do with it. They haven't accepted it. They haven't embraced it. But they're thinking about it. You see, back then they wanted a reigning king, not a dying Messiah. They wanted somebody to emerge and lead them out of Roman tyranny so they could become once again a superpower on earth. But they didn't get that in Jesus. No, they got the servant riding in humbly on a donkey. Not a warrior king riding in on a white stallion. And they were disappointed. And finally, these are those that hear the gospel. But you know what? 
They don't really know if they believe it or not. Those are Saturday people. And you know what? Some of the disciples, if not all of them at that point, they were Saturday people as well. Friday and Saturday. But you know, Friday came, Saturday went, and Sunday was about to happen. Sunday, praise God, people, they know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They know he died for their sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. They believe the gospel and know it didn't end on Friday or Saturday. But on Sunday, praise God, they opened up their eyes and they saw him raised up from the dead. They know the stone was rolled away. They know he overcame death, hell, and the grave. He emerged victorious over all the powers of darkness. They know their sins have been forgiven. They know that death has been abolished. The Bible says Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to life to the gospel. They know that Jesus was dead. As he said, I was him that liveth. I was dead. I'm alive. Behold forevermore. And I've got the keys of hell and the grave. They know that Satan's been defeated. And they know that because of Christ... We've been made more than conquerors through him who loves us. Beloved, Friday came. Friday might be here, but Sunday's coming. And we know that it already came. We serve a resurrected Christ. We serve a living Savior and Redeemer. Thank God. If you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you know that what I'm saying is true. So many years ago, these events took place. It's been about 2,000 years now, if not a little over. Or right around 2,000 years. But you know what? They're as fresh and as new as they ever were from the very beginning. There should be a buzz taking place among us right now. Are we being silenced because of COVID-19? Absolutely not. Is the gospel being hindered because of it? Absolutely not. To be honest with you, this is an opportunity, not an obstacle that we are facing. You know what we have an opportunity to do? To reach out. And let people know that our belief is not confined to these four walls. We're reaching out beyond these four walls. Whether it's through social media, live streaming, telephone calls, texting. Letting people know out there that we care. And why are we submitting to what our president asked us to do? Why are we submitting to what the CDC has asked us to do? Because we want to show people that even though we're people of faith, and you know what, we have no fear. We believe that Jesus will protect us, praise God, by his mighty hand, by the power of his spirit, putting a hedge of protection around us to keep us from it. But we also are concerned about others that maybe not, don't feel the same way. Maybe they're weaker in their faith or whatever. Read Romans 14 that tells us, you know what? If you're stronger in your faith, then consider the weaker one. And don't cause them to stumble. Paul said, you know what, all things are lawful for me. Is it lawful to me? It might be. But is it the responsible thing to do? He said, but it's not always edifying if I do it. I don't use my liberty, in other words, to hurt other people. And so we are doing our part. We're asking you to continue doing your part. But join together with us in believing, praise God, that the power of the resurrection is a greater power than COVID-19. And we all believe, praise God, that the hand of God is sweeping across this nation and pushing that thing out of this land. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. Can you say amen? I didn't hear you. Can you say amen? I believe you're amening out there with me and we're joining forces together. Anyone that's been, let's say, that has contracted the disease, we stand with you. We believe God with you and for you. We uphold you before the throne of God, believing for a miracle in your life. You know what? 
My wife and I were told our son couldn't live. What's impossible with man is possible with God. Because of our faith in God, he's 18 years old, about to graduate high school, which of course there's no high school right now, but he's graduating from high school, praise God, and he's alive. He had no left pulmonary artery, but he's got one now. Man couldn't make one, but God did. We believe God for it. And so what we're encouraging you to do is this. Maybe you've been attacked in whatever area of your life, it's a sickness or it's a disease, Trust God. Look to God. Avail yourself to what man can do medically. Avail yourself to natural means. But more than anything, trust God. The message that you heard tonight is a message of hope that produces a faith in our hearts to realize no matter what man can do or can't do, God is greater. As a matter of fact, our son's Bible verse, Mark 9, 23. All things are possible to him that believeth. So we believe with you for a miracle in your life. Father, I lift up every person at the sound of my voice. I thank you for everyone, dear Father God, to have a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. Not a religious Jesus, but the reality of a living, loving Savior who came from above, robed himself in flesh, lived upon this earth, did what no man ever did, and then went to a cross and died as no man ever died and was raised from the dead to prove he is our creator and he is our redeemer. We thank you so much for each and every one to have and embrace this wonderful truth knowing that we serve a living Savior. Father, for those, uh, again, that are out there that are in need, we surround them with, your faith, with our faith and with your love, believing that your hand is upon each and every one of them to bring them to a place of victory and deliverance. May each and every one be made whole by the stripes of Jesus. We give you all the glory for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.